Welcome to the GovComs podcast, bringing you the latest insights and innovations from experts and thought leaders around the globe in government communication. Now, here is your host, David Pembroke. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome once again to GovComs, the podcast that examines the practice of content communication in government and the public sector. My name's David Pembroke, and thank you for joining me once again today. Our guest is Nicole Thompson-Pride. Nicole has a passion for communications, and it started at a young age. She was just 13 years old when she did work experience at the women's magazine, Clio. Since then, she's completed an undergraduate and postgraduate qualification in the field of communication and has worked in a variety of communication roles across government, the private sector, and the not-for-profit space. She's worked for the New South Wales government, Soldier on Australia, and perhaps most interestingly, worked for a fund manager, Dimensional Fund Advisors, because it was at Dimensional Fund Advisors that Nicole first got interested in the science of speech writing and the science of understanding the human brain such that you could write better speeches that could influence and persuade people. Nicole also believes that today we need the best possible people working in communication because of the increasingly complex issues that societies face. And the reason she believes that is because it's good communication that will help shape and change the world. She joins me in the studio now. Nicole, welcome to GovComs. Thank you, David. Thank you for having me. No problem at all. So I am fascinated by this idea of cognition and brain and how we can use that in communication to better shape what we do. Now, you're a speech writer and you use it, but how about we start at the beginning? When did you get interested in cognition and, and the science of the brain in, as it relates to communication? Probably going back to when I was completing my undergraduate. So I did a business degree majoring in public relations and I studied some marketing subjects and kind of looking at cognitive behaviour is part and parcel in marketing. Mm. And, you know, I studied um, a subject on consumer behaviour and I found it really interesting how marketing tries to tap into how we make decisions. Um, but I didn't touch on any of that in my communication subjects. And I'm, you know, I kind of was questioning why because I think human cognition and, and how people make decisions and how we influence um, opinions is is just as important in communication as it is in marketing and, and other fields. But, and, and is it, do we know enough about the brain and about cognition that we can then actually apply that knowledge to better communication? I think there's some really interesting stuff just starting to come out of um, the behavioural economic sector and the neuroscience um, sector, particularly in leadership. I think the neuro what's coming out of the neuroleadership sector, I think is quite pertinent, particularly to speech writing and uh, executive, like leadership communication. Okay. I, I do think there are some models coming out in those sectors that we can start to apply to our communication. Okay, so what are some of those models that we could perhaps use to to better create more effective communication? Yeah, so last year I was very fortunate. Um, I did a workshop with the Neuro Leadership Institute and uh, they spoke to us about the SCARF model. Um, so the SCARF model talks about status, certainty, relatedness, autonomy, and fairness. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that really looks at 
how we, the way we communicate with people. It was more talking about communication as a manager with, with colleagues or or more just in the work setting, but it, it explored how we communicate with people, how it can push people into a threat or a reward state. And what was really interesting is when we push people into a threat state, uh, there's less glucose and oxygen that goes to the prefrontal cortex, which is where higher order thinking takes place. So it's where complex decision-making is made. So when we push people into a threat state, that kind of switches off, which makes it very difficult for us as communicators to get across messages that are anchored in uh, statistics and and logic and reason, it it makes it quite it makes decision making quite emotional and and more irrational. And I think that's really interesting for those of us that are working with leaders who communicate. Mm. So, in terms of that, the, is it? Do you feel, or is there a, a criticism that this could be a little? Is this hocus pocus, or is this actually something that's got you know grounded in in science? It's grounded in science and I think so. I think neuroscience is starting to hit like the 20-year mark where it's got 20 years of research kind of behind it and there's some really fascinating, not just in communications, but across the board, some really fascinating stuff coming out of the neuroscience space. Um, but no, I've, I've, this has been around uh, for... I think coming up, I think it was about 2008. So it's it's over 10 years now that this model's kind of been out in the, the leadership space. And no, I think it's it's widely accepted that that this is... Relevant, this proven, is, and there's yeah, evidence that, to, that to, relevant, to the claims. Proven. And I mean, I've, I studied persuasion um, as part of my master's and it very much so I felt... Um, went hand in hand with some of the theories we had learned in persuasion. And when I look back at speeches like JFK's speech at Rice University to say we're going to the moon, I can see um, how when you kind of overlay neuroscience, like that's saying we're going to the moon is something that could really make people feel threatened because it was such a big idea at the time. Mm. Mm. But what he does before delivering that message is he kind of says, let me just remind you about all the things humankind has achieved. And they were remarkable achievements. So by the time he said, we're going to the moon, you almost expected him to say something that grand. Yeah. And, and I think that's a great example of how we, we really need to work with human cognition to, to deliver messages that 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 are bold, that that aren't popular, that aren't you know that that aren't populism. Like I, th I think we're in a really difficult time for communication. We talk about a complex world, and we talk about everything being interrelated. But because everything is interrelated, that means the impacts of issues cascade. And this is complex mm. messaging, and mm. it's no longer enough to be heard. You have to also be understood. And I think that uh, neuroscience could be part of uh, a more scientific way of how we go about communication. So it's interesting though, isn't it, that JFK back at the time that that speech was done, do you, do you think there was an awareness of the neuroscience or was it just good communication and he knew that that was the way that you had to move people along, that you had to manage their expectations and manage their understanding in such a way that by the time he delivered the big you know, the big message at the end, that he, he had them in the right place. 
I would love to be able to ask him because <laughs> I've studied um, quite a few of his speeches um, in the uh, persuasion in public affairs subject that I did as part of my master's. And like every line you, you can attribute to some kind of, uh, you know, rhetoric technique and um, like there's, there's some element of persuasion theory. Mm. So it, was he just a man that so instinctively knew what good communication was or did he appreciate, um, you know, like persuasion goes back to Aristotle. Like we're not talking about new theories here. I, I think he, he was a man that respected persuasion, mm. um, which made him very, very good at it. And I'm not sure today, I think we could give more respect um, to the theories, to, to the persuasion, th- to neuroscience. Yeah. Okay. So let's just go through that scarf model. I think that's really quite quite interesting, and it's something that you know perhaps people you know listening to the podcast can go and understand or go and do a bit more research around that, so as that they can get into the detail of of the actual theory. But you said status, certainty, autonomy, relatedness, and fairness. They're the elements of of the actual model. So status. Let's let's talk about that. What's that all about? So status, from my understanding, and I should, I should, you know, put a disclaimer, I'm not an expert in neuroscience. <laughs> I'm just a communication professional that's fascinated by it. Oh. And, you know, I've done a half-day course and, and you know, I've, I've done the readings on it and, and that kind of stuff. And I'm, as a communication professional, I'm, I'm thinking, this There's is something interesting. in this. There's yeah. something in this. There's mm. something in this that I think we need to explore as a profession mm. um, and, so uh, let me get that disclaimer out front. Um, but status, from my understanding, you know, it's kind of like that survival of the fittest. We don't like to think we're the weakest link. So mm-hmm. my understanding is that um, we, we like to think that we have elevated status. And when that status is um, undermined, um, that can push us into a threat stage. Mm. So, I mean, my, the way I learned it was very much so, as I said, like a managerial workshop. It was about working with colleagues and the the conversations you could have with colleagues but they were kind of saying if you want to have you know a a productive conversation don't kind of undermine their status but but that's it's respect isn't it it's respect for the audience and understanding as to who they are and to don't speak down to people (laughs) or is it more than that I think um I think we just need to remember that at the crux of human beings is emotional decision making and um and I just, weight loss is the perfect example. If we were driven by statistics and facts, there'd be no overweight people in the world because we know, we know it's not good for us to carry extra weight, but that's not enough. Mm. So, you know, I always look at that and think we are emotional beings. And I think when you're talking to someone, you know, while you might want to say, look, your work's not good enough or it's it's not up to scratch, you've got to realise that's going to push someone straight away yeah. into a threat state. Defensive, yeah. Defensive. And I think the same with speech writing. Sometimes you want to get up and you want to be a bold leader and you want to set the tone that this isn't good enough, but straight away, yeah. you know, you're starting to switch off that prefrontal cortex, which means whatever message comes next, yeah. it might not be processed the way you want it to be processed. So I just think it's it's... Putting, we always say in communications, we need to think about the audience, mm. but this is really putting the audience back where they belong, which is front of mind, and thinking not just what are their demographics, are they male, are they female, but thinking how are they, what kind of state of mind are they in about this issue? Mm. Um, and then look at the scarf model and think how will the messages uh, 
like, will it will it yeah. threaten any of these? Yeah. And if so, and I'm going to push them into a threat state of mind, mm. how does that impact the message that I want to get across? And mm. if it's based, if it's anchored in logic and reason and, and stats and figures, the, the, you know, the answer is probably not a great chance of, of convincing them of your way of thinking. Okay. Um, the next letter is C. Yes. Um, certainty. What's that about? We just, we, we like to know what's going on? Yeah. So that kind of brings, no, so it's about patterns. Okay. So, um, you know, we like going back to a place like a hometown or something like that because it, it, it feels familiar. We like the familiar. We are programmed to like the familiar. So that's what I was saying with the JFK speech. He created a pattern. Like he kept just building in kind of remarkable humankind achievements. And by the time he said, we're going to go to the moon, it was the next step in that pattern. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it wasn't, it, it didn't seem any more extraordinary than mm. what he'd kind of said beforehand. Like he had set us up yes. to receive that message. Yes. Um, so certainty is about... You know, you know, in a work setting, it's about saying up front, you know, this is this, these are the projects we're going to do. This is what I expect, blah, blah, blah. But, but I think from a communication perspective, it's about knowing if you go in there and you're about to drop a message or an issue or, or something that you haven't primed them for, mm. that's going to make them feel threatened. So I think certainty is particularly interesting for us communicators. Okay. Autonomy. Yeah, autonomy, I, I think that's more... In a work setting, um, I've kind of thought, how does that apply? But I, I do think with Robert Kennedy's speech about Martin Luther King, um, you know, he says, you have a choice. Like, I can't, I can't remember verbatim what he says, but mm. rather than saying this is being done to you, yeah. he was saying, you have a choice with how you respond. Yeah. And I think that's important. Like, it's just little tweaks in how we deliver messages, but rather saying you know, these are the options I'm giving you or whatever. It's about throwing autonomy back to people and and that's where I think, yeah, autonomy comes into it. But it's, it's just I think we feel threatened when we have no choice in life. Mm-hmm. Um, that's You're not thriving when you've got no decision-making power. So I think it's just remembering that and, yeah, making sure that, and perhaps People in a way have. related some, somehow to, to S, the status, you know, that if you have that autonomy, that's your power, that that's your, you know, your, your ability to uh, influence and your ability to be able to receive. Yes, I do, think, I do think that they are kind of related in that sense. I'm sure if you spoke to a neuroscientist, they'd be able to like give you a much clearer distinction between the two. Yeah. But I do think autonomy is just, is the choice aspect. Like, okay. Yeah. So relatedness? Yeah, relatedness is just my understanding is that we are social beings and that's kind of what, you know, sets us apart as humans and we like to feel part of a tribe. And, you know, I think I think you see that in, in times of grief and, uh, you know, we like to feel connected to the community and, uh, yeah, I think that's what relatedness is about. Mm-hmm. And fairness, the final one, the F of the scarf model, being fair or being treated fairly, is that what it's about? Yeah, it's the perception that, that, yeah, decisions are being made fairly. So yes. if I was to psychoanalyze myself, I think fairness is one of the things that I'm greatly driven by. Like, and I think you see it all the time, like social injustices. Sometimes you don't have to be the person that's being impacted, but you stand up for other people because you're driven by fairness. So I mm-hmm. think that that's kind of what fairness is about in a nutshell. So th- this really drives to the element of context, doesn't it, in terms of the way that you are speaking 
to an audience of such. So if you're setting up a communication of any thought, that really the SCARF model will help you to understand the motivation of the group or the audience or whoever it is that you're trying to send that message to. So it really goes to that issue of context, is it? So I think it's interesting to overlay the SCARF model with, you know, other tools in communication, Mm -hmm. but to think about how an audience, what they already think about the issue and the state of mind that they're already in. Okay. Um, So if you're going in to talk about a really contentious issue, you need to acknowledge that they're probably in a threat mode. Mm. Just, just, you know, the issue's name on a PowerPoint, that might be enough to kind of push them. And you need to use... Uh, like safe language and, yeah. and, and you need to really like create a safe environment before you even try yeah. to deliver what you want to say. I think too often in communications, we get focused on saying as much as possible in an allocated time space and just yeah. let's get all our key messages out there. And I think with the SCARF model, I think we need to give more recognition to getting an audience into the right state of mind to maybe even... Before you deliver. Yeah, and it might just be delivering one key message. But, yeah, I think it's about overlaying this. And, 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 I mean, it's not just the SCARF model. There's some other really interesting stuff coming out of the neuroscience field and behavioural economics. And I, I think it's about, as a profession, us taking this on board and saying, what does this mean to communications? I mean, I'm just... I'm just using my own kind of analysis, but I think as a profession, we really need to start hmm. looking at how, how can we use human cognition to help leaders because that's our job. It's our job to help leaders around the world, within the country, within government, to, to progress society. Like that's what good communication does. Hmm. Um, and sometimes there's pushback against progression just purely because we don't understand it. So it's about using what's coming out of these fields to help us help leaders lead the world. Like yeah. that, that's how I really see it. So so from your you know professional life, you're a speechwriter as such, how how do you go about warming up the leadership or the people who influence the leadership to this model, to this idea that Perhaps they don't want to know everything. Perhaps they don't have to hear everything. Perhaps really, you know, the key for us today strategically is to land this message. So how do you convince people that that this is the, the, the best way of doing it? Yeah. So, well, that's why I brought it to you, David, because <laughs> you're a thought leader in the industry too. And I think what we need is... is I think before you take it to leaders and say, and try to get a concept across that... Um, Oh, the first thing I should notice note is that the scarf model is starting to be spoken about in in leadership yeah. um, a lot more. Okay. So I think that makes our job easier because yeah. we're saying, well, let's take what's yeah. coming, what you're already hearing as part of yep. your leadership um, kind of development. Let's take that and apply that to communication. So I yes. think that's making it easier for us. But I do think I, th- I think it's easier to take to start having these discussions with other thought leaders in the communication field yep. and and get them on board and, and, and discuss it together, find out their thinking. Like, you know, it'd be interesting to find out how you think we can apply mm. SCARF and other, um, you know, models and theories coming out of that space. And then I think we need to have, we need to start talking about it as a profession and then we can take it. It's very hard um, 
as we know, to, if, 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 there's no certainty. It's very hard to get people across the line with new concepts. So I think it's really important as a profession that that we start looking at this stuff together and, and talking about it more and mm. discussing it and, and working out how we can apply it and that kind of stuff. And then, yeah, taking it to leaders in a more collective kind of way. Mm. It's interesting, isn't it? Because I think back over my career and at different times, there's always been this you know the the neuroscience in inside the the marketing realm as mm. such and you know where people are hooked up to machines and they've got electrodes on them and their brain you know caps on and I've I, I suppose I've, I don't know why but I've always been a little bit suspicious of it I've always been a bit like that all looks a bit sort of creepy to me it all looks about I'm not sure that it is but I have read the paper that you did send me and I you know I I tend to agree with you I think there is certainly something in this um, because again, the, the the principles that underpin it are really quite simple, and they're quite human, and they're quite relatable. Because you think about it, well, that's right. Because if someone comes to me and says, "Hey, I'm going to give you this feedback," and it's like, "Well, hang on, whoa, hang on, I'm, I'm already on the back foot," as opposed to engaging in a conversation and allowing me uh, through conversation to get to the same position, really, ultimately, where I give myself the the feedback and I come to the answer and it's like, oh, okay, so, but, but you've achieved your aim without sort of threatening me in that way. So I've, it's, it's been interesting since I've gone through that paper, I've started to think about it and apply it a little bit more in my work. And I, I tend to agree with you that it, there's, um, there is something that we really need to explore a lot more in this. And so I look forward to working with you to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I thank you. I look forward to working with you too. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I definitely think so. I, I, I'm always, it's, I'm definitely a creative, but I think I'm very anchored in strategy and, and, you know, I've kind of always thought of myself as someone that combines art and science. Mm. Um, and, you know, communication is definitely art. Like, it's, there's definitely mm. an art to it. But I, I definitely think it, it's underpinned by science. And, and I'm not sure we've given enough respect to that. I think because when it's when people think of it as art, it's like, oh well we can't explain that. There, no, there's that's no, right. It's it's art. It's mm. art. You're mm. either good at it or you're not. Yeah. Um but I would disagree. Yeah. I, I think there's there's a lot of science in communication that sh- that we should be looking into to underpin uh, and and look this is I think we're just with the scarf model, we're just talking about really highly emotional kind of topics and issues. Yeah. Um and and uh, but that's just one model. But, but in the government comms, that's often the space that yes, government's in. You know, there's, it, you know, they get the bad stuff. You know, they get the, there is the difficult issues that mm-hmm. they're trying to deal with, where, you know, people are struggling or suffering. You know, in Australia at the moment, we have this you know dreadful drought, and you know, people's lives are being destroyed by the climate. Um, and how you communicate in those in those spaces is massively difficult, um, massively difficult. You know, to try to land any sort of meaningful sort of dialogue in, at, at a time of such distress. Yeah, and there's deep-seated beliefs and opinions um, yes. and, and they're quite hard to influence. But to progress, to move forward, we need to be able to influence them. Mm. Um, and, and with whatever, like I think that's the thing we need to remember. Like sometimes we're not policy makers, we're not making perfect solutions, but for society to progress, sometimes we have to communicate like mm. solutions that, that, that aren't ideal, but it is to progress forward and we need to work with audiences to achieve that. So 
Yeah, I and do. It, well, it's, and it's, I tend to agree with you know what you were saying earlier, or in the introduction, you know, your your observation that really communication sits at the heart, particularly of government, where mm. you know there's a few levers that they can pull. You know, there's legislation, there's regulation, and there's you know communication sits right alongside it as what they can actually do to influence. And so I think. Um, you know, it's something that in the difficult, complex, interrelated world where people are looking to leaders, looking to government for answers that, you know, they have to seriously take this sort of stuff on board. Yeah, I'm actually excited to be a communication professional in this world yeah. because I think we it's a challenge for us to step up. Yeah, as, absolutely. As communication professionals. I feel like this, this is a great challenge for us to step up to the times and... Yeah. Kick the door down and get in there. Yeah, I, I really do. I think I th- and that, that's what I think we should be absorbing ourselves in, you yeah. know, all, all sorts of theories and um, models coming out because these are difficult times for communication professionals and leaders. But I think it's also a very exciting time to step up to that challenge. And yeah. Absolutely. I, and it's, it's interesting, and, I, and I've mentioned this quite often on the podcast, around the role, the uh, evolving role and changing role of where that communication professional um, plays in that space and it is the role of getting up out of your chair and joining people together and finding where you can bring together groups of people in order to you know shape up a team response to a particular issue and being able to get everybody to work together uh, you know to break the silos down and I think that can be the role of the communicator to be able to join people up to communicate effectively to draw together the strengths and the skills that are readily available, lots of people around, but bringing them together. So it's this get up out of your chair, go and talk to people, go and lead, you know, go and be that person who is the one who says, well, hang on, I'm going to actually grab a hold of this because the communication piece is so vitally important because it's ultimately about people, their behaviour, their action. And unless we can move them to action, well, how are we going to make any sort of change? It's just not going to happen. Yeah, exactly. And then I remember very clearly a lecturer in my undergraduate when I was studying public relations, he used to say to us, we are the conduit. So exactly what you're saying, we bring everyone together. And he said that we straddle the fence between the organisation and the public. Yep. And, and we very much so do. And, and I think in these, I think, you know, they're talking about greater divides and less trust and all that kind of stuff. And I, I think that that sense of bringing everyone together and, and really thinking for both the organisation and the public, mm. yeah, I think I think these are difficult times for us. But, yeah, a great opportunity to, to uh, you know, really step up and, and help progress really, really tough issues, as you were saying before. So in terms of people getting more information just about the SCARF model, what's the best way that people, I suppose, you know, with Google, throw the SCARF model into Google and you'll get lots of resources to to come to you? So the SCARF model um, is like owned by the Neuro Leadership Institute, so David Rock. I'm pretty sure he's an Australian. So I would look up the the Neuro Leadership Institute and and have have a look at their work. Yeah, have a look at their work. Okay. Fantastic. Well, listen, Nicole, thank you so much for coming in to the studio today to discuss cognition and how it applies to communication and how we can use 
uh, the greater understanding and awareness and knowledge that is coming out of the you know behavioral economics, neuroscience, where can we take that learning knowledge and understanding to ensure that our communication is more effective? So thanks to you for coming in today. And thanks to you, the audience, for coming back once again. Really enjoyed that conversation with Nicole today. I think there is absolutely something in this, ladies and gentlemen. So go and have a read. Uh, yeah, I think there's really, as I say, Nicole and I caught up a couple of weeks ago and we started having a chat about this and she sent me a paper which I've read and I, I do think that there's something, and I've started to apply it in my own work as well. So isn't it great? You know, you can never stop learning. So fantastic stuff there. So thanks to Nicole and thanks to you for coming back once again. We'll be back at the same time in a couple of weeks as always, but for the moment, it's bye for now. You've been listening to the GovComs podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate and subscribe to stay up to date with our latest episodes.